you are listening to Prospect Minded. How are you now? I had to throw it in there, of course. It's kind of my signature sign-on that I stole from Letterkenny. Um, how's everybody doing? It's Matt Drake here with another episode of Prospect Minded. As you may be aware, you may have heard the previous episode by my buddy Pat Bexel. Uh, we are running a new series now where one of us is going to come on once a week and we're going to talk about a Montreal Canadiens prospect, talk about their progression. Uh, and today, who are we here to talk about? Well, if you're hearing my voice, you know who my favorite is. And it's Le Sniper Beauceron, Joshua Roy. I know many of you maybe have heard our more recent episode where we graded uh, the Habs prospects at the, at the World Juniors. So I'm not going to talk too much about that tournament and what he did in that tournament. Now, that tournament, however, did kind of prompt this episode for me because I felt like I needed to talk a little bit more you know, retrospectively about how he's developed, how he got to where he is now, and what this means for his ceiling. Because a year ago, if you asked me a year ago what Joshua Roy's ceiling would be, I would have told you middle six. I had been saying that for a long time. A lot of people would have said bottom six. I was higher than most, and I always said, I think he fits into the middle six. I think he can play on your second, your third line, um, probably third line in all likelihood, and provide maybe some secondary scoring for you. But now, I'm going to give it away off the top. If you want to stop listening to me after I say this, go ahead. But I suggest you stick around because i got a good way of explaining why I think this is the case. His upside his ceiling is absolutely top six at this point. Now, why is that? So let's rewind all the way to when I first started really paying attention to him. I had seen him a few times before the draft, and I'll be completely honest with you guys. When they called his name in the fifth round, I was sitting there watching, and I found myself shocked. I was like, well, I can't believe he's available. I thought he would have gone a little bit earlier. I'm not saying I would have picked him in the second round or anything like that. I thought he was gone somewhere in the third or the fourth. I forgot he was even on the board. And then the Habs got him, and I said, well, good. You know, that's a bit of a project, but um, a project that we can afford to take on, right? We were living in a different time then. The Habs had just made it to the Stanley Cup final and lost, so we kind of felt, I think a lot of us felt like maybe they were going to be able to surprise everybody again the next year and get back into the playoffs and maybe get back to the final. Who knows? Uh, We've come a long way since then, haven't we? But I felt like we could afford the time to take on that project and and see where it goes. Now, when I really started paying attention to him was right at the beginning of that season. As soon as he started playing, uh, I started trying to take in as many games as I could because I was very intrigued. I liked what I saw from him pre-draft. I wasn't super high on him myself. Again, he wasn't even really on my radar when they were picking. Uh, But I started paying attention and I started really liking what I saw, especially from an offensive standpoint. Right? The kid had a very good shot, very good vision. He could find his teammates all over the place on the ice. He could utilize the threat of his shot to move uh, defenders around and then locate his teammates and then uh, fire a perfect pass over to set them up. And all of this led to a 119-point season for him. So the one thing that you could say about him is, listen, this guy can pile up the points, but he's doing it at the junior level. Everybody knows junior scoring does not always translate to NHL success. So throughout the course of that season, you know, I was listening to a lot of scouts telling me what are the deficiencies in this game. And then for myself, while I was watching, I was trying to find, you know, where's the improvement. And when you heard him in interviews, one of the first things that he started talking about early on in the year is that he really wanted to improve his physical conditioning, right? His cardio. And you notice that at the start of the year, at the end of almost every shift, he'd be on the bench, bent over, sucking wind, struggling. It was, he was not in the best physical shape. And it's not like he wasn't in game shape. He just wasn't in 
you know, go out there and play 25 minutes a night shape. And they needed him to play, not, not necessarily 25 minutes a night, but they needed him to play a lot for the Sherbrooke Phoenix because he's their focal point on offense. Anytime they needed a goal, who are they sending out there? They're sending him, right? Either he's going to shoot or he's going to create that goal for them. And he's playing mostly all situations for them as well, right? Lots of power play, lots of even strength. Not so much on the penalty kill last season, right? Now, fast forward to the end of the year, and at the end of those same length of shifts, right? He'd go out there, take a minute-long shift. At the end of those same shifts, rather than being on the bench, bent over, sucking wind, you could see him beating out icings, skating at least to try and beat out icings, and sometimes succeeding. So right there was one example for me that really sold me on this kid has work ethic. Because at the beginning of the year, he talked about wanting to improve something, and by the end of the year, you could clearly see that he had done it. Right? The other thing, the biggest thing that needed to be improved in his game was skating. <clears throat> I felt at many points throughout the course of that season that I was seeing better skating out of him. Like his stride was changing a little bit. One of the things about the way he skates is that he's kind of bent over and he doesn't flex his ankles as much. David St. Louis could explain this to you better than I could. But he lacks ankle flexion. He's kind of hunched over. So as a result, it takes more work for him to get up to top speed. It takes more work for him to maintain that top speed too. What does that mean? Well, it means you need to be better physically conditioned in order to stay out there for a minute at a time, which he accomplished. And I think from there, he was able to really start working on his skating because now you've got the physical conditioning. Now you've got that uh, ability to be on the ice for long periods of time without getting tired. So by establishing a little bit more cardio, he was able to work more on his skating. This is what I think right i'm gonna try and get an interview with him actually in february when he's in st john uh for a game so hopefully i'll be able to get that and i can ask him directly about it because i haven't heard anybody talking to him about that yet but i will say this fast forward now we're not talking about the 119 point season anymore we get into this year and i'm noticing even more differences in his skating now this is after of course he went to habs development camp got an opportunity to work a little bit with the development team there we saw him working with marie philippe poulain we saw him working with adam nicholas he had an opportunity to go to that first nhl camp well not his first he was at the previous nhl camp as well uh, after being drafted but he got the opportunity to work with the new development team that is and then we see him in sherbrooke and his skating looks considerably better so i'm clipping every highlight i can get of him this season and I'm putting them up on Twitter and then I'm putting them in the EOTP chat as well to see what people think about it had an opportunity to chat a little bit with David St. Louis and he's noticing some of the same improvements that I am he's mixing in crossovers as he goes up ice to gain speed a little bit more his his mechanics have changed a little bit now he's not Paul Byron right you're not going to watch him at any point this season with the Sherbrooke Phoenix and say oh my god this is the fastest guy on the ice He's very rarely going to be the fastest guy on the ice, but he's made improvements. So again, you see the work ethic, right? You see the desire to improve something, and then he goes out there and puts in the work to actually get it done. That humility when it comes to know, not necessarily professional athletes, but high-level athletes in general is pretty rare. A lot of high-level hockey players, they think that they do one they, they do one thing well and they think, I do this really well, so this is what I do, this is my identity, and I'm going to run with that. And they don't necessarily seek out problem areas in their game to improve them. So now I'm going to rewind again. Right? We're going to go back to the last World Junior. 
at the last World Junior, the one in the summer in August, he was asked specifically about the Montreal Canadiens and what they told him he needs to do differently in order to have success at the professional level. And he said specifically, they told me they want me to work on my 200-foot game, so they want me to be better in all three zones. They want me to have a more pro-style game. Same thing. Now we uh, rewind again back to last year. His defensive game was not stifling, but it wasn't surprising that he didn't have a stifling defensive game because during a 119-point season where your team is relying on you to create offense, they're not putting you out there to defend. They're putting you out there to score, right? It's similar to Cole Caulfield with Montreal, right? If you have Cole Caulfield out there in the defensive zone doing nothing but defending, you have a problem. That's not what he's there for you to, to, that's not what he's there to accomplish for you. He's there to score goals. So Montreal Canadiens, 119 point season. They tell Joshua Roy afterwards, we would like you to develop more of a pro game, more of a 200 foot game. Again, fast forward back to this season. We're seeing defensive developments in him. He's gotten much more engaged along the boards. He back checks far harder than he was the previous season. He's not scoring this year at the same rate that he was last year in the QMJHL. He's still scoring at a pretty darn good rate, but he's not scoring at the same rate that he was last year. Why is that? He's adapted his game. He's trying to become more of a professional player. He's playing harder on defense. He's back-checking harder. He's going hard into the corners. He is purposely modifying his game to make it better, to make it more appropriate for the professional level. Why did he do that? Because they asked him to. Why did they ask him to? Because he was never going to come into the NHL and score 100 points. That's probably not in the cards for him. I think he understood that. I think the Habs development team understood that. And that's why they asked him to start working on other aspects of his game. And he did. And look at what it brought. Now we fast forward one more time to the World Juniors. Starts that tournament off on the third line, on the checking line. Immediately, they bump him up. They put him on that line with Connor Bedard and Logan Stankoven. And what happens? He's the puck retrieval guy. He's playing extremely well on defense. He is killing penalties. He had that ridiculous penalty kill shift against the United States where he spent like 40 seconds in the offensive zone against four Americans by himself. He has changed his game. Now, I got to do one of these pauses. We'll be right back after a word from one of our sponsors. And we're back. We're talking about Joshua Hua changing his game and making it more professional. I think everybody saw it at the World Juniors, right? Almost everybody. I'm seeing very few people. You know, last year when I was posting uh, clips of him, a lot of people were always coming into my mentions and saying, yeah, whatever, fourth liner in the NHL, right? Um, Even this season, early on in the year, I was getting some of the same comments. Whatever, he's going to be a fourth liner. Whatever, he's going to be an AHL hero. And then the World Juniors happen, and now all of a sudden I'm posting clips of him. I'm not getting any of that. I'm getting plenty of people coming back saying, man, what a steal this guy was in the fifth round. What a steal. What a steal indeed. There's a few things, and I noted this in the previous podcast, so I apologize to anybody who already listened to our grading at the World Juniors if this is a little bit repetitive to you, but there's a few things that I want to note. Number one, if you went back in time right now and you redrafted the 2021 draft, there's no chance, zero chance, that he's available in the fifth round. He's gone in the first 
with the benefit of hindsight knowing that he was about to put up a 119-point season, no chance. He's gone in the first. I can tell you that right now. And here's another thing, though. And I don't know if anybody, again, if you listened to the previous episode, you already heard this. But if he was born about a month and 10 days later than he was, he would have been in the 2022 draft with Shane Wright, Uri Slavkowski, etc. How high would he have gone in that draft? That wasn't a very, I mean, it was a pretty deep draft, I felt. Like, there's a lot of NHLers that went in the later rounds, like the third, fourth, fifth rounds. I think there's guys there that are going to go to the NHL. So I felt like it was pretty deep, but not elite in terms of talent. If he scores 119 points and then becomes draft eligible right afterwards, would he have gone top 10? I don't know. I, I tend to think he probably would have gone somewhere in the top 15. Realistically, probably in the top 10. There wasn't a whole lot of elite scorers available in that draft. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying what I think. I might be a little bit biased because I've been following the kid for so long and uh, and I'm really high on him. But look, they got a guy in the fifth round that <laughs> with the benefit of hindsight, you could say in his own draft, he would have been a first rounder. Maybe a late one, but for sure a first rounder. And if he was born a month and 10 days later, he would have been a first rounder in that draft too. How high? That's eh, up for interpretation, but he would have been a first rounder. Insane value. So for all the criticism that you can levy, valid criticism that you can levy against the Trevor Timmons era in terms of drafting and development, they, he, he, he may have given us a great parting gift in Joshua Hua. He, that, that, that team of scouts led by Trevor Timmons, I'll say this, you know, I have my issues with especially how they handled early picks, uh, first round picks in general. But in the later rounds, they had an ability to find some diamonds in the rough. Joshua Hua is one of those diamonds in the rough. I can't tell you how excited I am to see this kid get to that next level, to get to the show, which I believe that he will. Now, I gave it away off the top, right at the beginning of the episode. I said, you can stop listening if you don't like what I'm about to say. He has top six upside. His ceiling is top six. Why do I think that? Well, previously... When I thought that his ceiling was, you know, middle six, maybe third line type role, his floor could have been what a lot of people suggested, which is maybe he gets to the AHL and he washes out there. You know, that's a that was a possibility. But with all these developments in his game, the improved skating, defensive abilities, compete level, physicality, these are all traits that put you over that hump to make you more of a guaranteed NHLer than you would otherwise be. And that's what I think has happened with him. I think his floor now is like bottom six winger. That's his floor. I really believe that. I think it's going to be it's going to be very surprising to me at least if he doesn't make the NHL and and have himself a relatively long career in the NHL. Those developments, you know, they didn't come overnight. He worked on them over the course of the last two years, and now he has that pro game. He has what the Canadians asked him to develop. And what's that going to do? That's going to give you opportunities, right? I think next year he's going to turn pro. He's got nothing left at the junior level. It would be completely silly for him to go back to Sherbrooke. I'm sure they'd love to have him. They'd absolutely love to have him. He would be dominant. He's dominant again this year. He'd be even more dominant next year. But it would make zero sense. He needs a step up in competition which means the Habs need to give him a real shot at camp 
They need to give him more preseason if possible. And then we evaluate, or they evaluate rather. <laughs> I'd love to be part of that evaluation one day, but I never will. But if they do it right, if they give him those opportunities, and then make that decision, potentially starts the year next year in Laval. Those abilities that he's acquired, that he's developed for himself, the physicality, the defense, the skating, they're going to afford him opportunities in Laval, potentially even top six opportunities down there. And then what's going to get you that call-up to the NHL is going to be those additional abilities. Because when there's a call-up spot, you're not going to get called up and get immediately inserted onto the top line. That rarely happens. It could, but it, it's probably not what's going to happen. You're going to have to start out a little bit lower in the lineup, maybe on the third line, the fourth line. And you're going to have to have some of those checking abilities. And you're going to have to earn more ice time. So when he does get that first call-up, when he gets that first taste of action, he's going to show them all the things that he can do. And now we know... Right, We know from that World Junior Tournament that he can play with elite players. So if he gets called up and then all of a sudden there's an opportunity for him to bump up and play on the second line or the third line or even the first line, he's going to be the first guy they think of because they know that he can play with those elite players, that he can bring his game up, that he can adjust what he's doing on the ice to fit with whoever he's playing with. The guy just finished scoring 11 points in seven games while playing alongside Arguably, well, really inarguably at this point, the best under-20 player in the world in Connor Bedard. What's to say that he can't do the exact same thing if he gets called up next year at some point to the Montreal Canadiens and he's playing, he's plugging away on the third, fourth line, all of a sudden a spot opens up next to, let's just say, Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki. What's to say that they don't give him a shot there? What's to say that he doesn't earn himself some power play time? What's to say... I mean, I've been saying this for a long time now. Never doubt Le Sniper Beauceron. Don't sleep on this kid. If you sleep on him, I'm telling you, you're going to be disappointed in yourself. Because the way that this kid has adapted his game over the course of the last two years, a lot of people who were sleeping on him back then are now saying, you know what, I admit I was wrong. And there's nothing wrong with being wrong. Right, It happens. Everybody's wrong about prospects sometimes. I've been super wrong about prospects in the past. I will tell you, I used to be super high on Darren Dietz and uh, Dalton Thrower uh, as defensive prospects for the Montreal Canadiens, and I think most people know how they, how they worked out. Um, you're, you're never going to be right 100% of the time. Right? I always felt when I was watching Josh Marois that, that I was right about him, that those improvements were really coming, and now that we got to, the, to see this World Junior and see what he, what he was able to do there, even people at Elite Prospects that weren't as high on him as I was, they're singing his praises. I mean, it's incredible what this kid has done so far. Um, I'm, I'm saying it now. He's got real top six potential. I don't know if we're going to see that next year. We might have to see, sit through you know, a season in Laval, maybe a few call-ups, and then maybe the year after that he could really come up and make an impact with the Habs. But I'm telling you, I, I foresee this guy playing in the top six for the Montreal Canadiens and becoming a staple for them for a long time. I think one of the things about the current Habs that you can say for sure is that they're a little bit top-heavy in terms of their scoring. Um, <laughs> they really aren't getting much outside of Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki right now. It would be such a wonderful thing to see this guy become that secondary scoring for them on like the second or the third line. I really think... You know, one of the visions that I have is you, you try to build maybe a second line at some point or even call it a third line if you want uh, with Owen Beck at center and Joshua Roy on one of the wings and, uh, you know, insert whoever you want on the other wing. 
those two are going to be very easy to play with because they both play the game very smart. Uh, they both play extremely defensively responsibly, and they also happen to have some excellent offensive upside. So um, I'm calling it now. Top six potential. That's his ceiling. And if you disagree with that, you know, we can have it out in the comments on the article at Eyes on the Prize. Uh, we can have it out on Twitter if you want. I'm going to be posting more clips of this guy as soon as he gets back into action. Um, I really think he's going to have a great end to the year here. Sherbrooke is trying to chase a, a president's trophy. They don't quite have the firepower of some of the teams around them, but they had an extremely strong start to the season. Um, and I, I think they're going to be an interesting team to follow throughout the QMJHL playoffs because similar to what I always say about Joshua Wet, if you sleep on the Sherbrooke Phoenix, if you're coming up against them in the playoffs and you sleep on them, you think, ah, this is going to be a cakewalk for us. It won't be. They've got talent. They've got two gold medalists on that on that roster, and they've got a silver medalist as well in uh, David Spacek. So, man, should be interesting to follow them for the rest of the season. Should be very interesting to continue to follow Joshua Hua. And like I said, top six potential, folks. This is potentially the first case of, like, the first benchmark case that they could have for their new development team. If they can really turn him in to that top six scorer that I believe he could be, it would be quite the story coming from a fifth round pick. That's it for this episode. Make sure to subscribe. If you subscribe to us on uh, Spotify, Apple, wherever you like to get your podcasts from, you can make sure you don't miss any of our content. We'll be coming out with more and more. Uh, I think Jared Book's up next for Prospect Minded. And outside of that, uh, I'll be back again with another bottom six minutes on what? On, uh, on Thursday night when the Habs face the Nashville Predators. So stay tuned. Lots more content here on our channel. À la prochaine.